Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Craig Taylor, author of the new book, New Yorkers. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your new book, New Yorkers, yet, how would you describe the book? Well, New Yorkers is a is a nonfiction book. It's an it's an oral history of sorts. I like to think of it as a as a nonfiction novel of sorts, where there are almost eighty different narrators, all of whom just happen to be real human beings living in New York, all of whom have a point of view on the city. Um, the book is really about voice, so we hear the New York vernacular through through their voices. We hear them describe the the ups and downs, the the beauty and the tragedy of of living of living in New York right now. And what led you to inter- interview so many New Yorkers and write this book? Um, I had done a book in London uh, called Londoners that came out in twenty twelve. And um, and that had just been such a, a fascinating and, and deep way of getting to know a city, interviewing all of these people involved in different walks of life, and and so I was given the chance to to go to New York and speak to two hundred New Yorkers, and uh, I think if, you know I just would have been an idiot not to take that chance. So I I leapt at it, and I moved there in twenty fourteen, and. Um, began the process. Uh, as you can imagine, these books take a long time. Uh, you have to seek out people, find them, talk to them. And, um, and so over the past, over the, over the next, the following years, that's what I did. I just tried to find some of the great talkers in the city of New York. And what was that process like in terms of finding the people that you did interview for the book? I, um, I, it takes a long time. There's a lot of myths in the hidden myths of, of this sort of work. Uh, thankfully, it takes a long time. I think good projects can only evolve over time. I wanted it to be a book that, that felt sort of lived in. And so I did have a, a list of verbs that I applied to New York um, that would help me find people. Uh, and so I was interested in tracking out people who were were enacting uh, actions in New York who were sort of pushing it forward, who were cleaning it or who were policing it or who were pest controlling. You know, I was finding people who were, who were doing these verbs again and again in the city. And so it became a book more about action and less about people sort of musing about New York. I was more interested in, in the elevator repairman and the 911 operator, the dog walker and the window cleaner, those kind of jobs, people actually working with the city every day. And and what was your kind of interview technique? Did you uh, sit down? Did you walk uh, with them in the city? Were you inter- Were you recording them? What What was some of the kind of interviewing process and technique for you? It was all of the above. I mean, I walked around endlessly, um, often accompanied by someone who was eager to talk and to share. Um, the the main thing was time, you know, and, and allowing people to speak about what they wanted to speak about. So I didn't, I never enter into um, any of these encounters with, with much of a list of questions. I just want people to talk about their own city. And so that inevitably takes time. It's not sort of an in and out five minute Q&A. It has to be storytelling. It has, people have to sort of talk about their lives at length, um, and so that happens in a variety of places. Uh, I was always uh, reticent to list the places where 
I actually conducted the interviews because, you know, New York, as in many big cities, is just so dominated by a sort of nowhere New York chains and and uh, coffee shops that could be anywhere. And so often I found that, you know, our conversations would start in these nameless chains and then they would deepen and then often people would take me to more interesting parts of New York. So there was a, a relationship between the interview itself and, and the locations that would start kind of bland and formal, but then we'd move into more interesting subjects and we'd move into more interesting corners of the city as well. Sure. Well, it seems that the story of New York in any era is a story of surviving hardships. In the last 20 years, New Yorkers have survived a terrorist attack, hurricane, recession, blackout, and most recently, the pandemic. When you were talking to the New Yorkers that you interviewed for your book, were there any common themes that you came away with in terms of surviving and thriving in the city? Absolutely. And I'm glad you picked up on that because, um, you know, the, the book is really about the vibrancy and resilience of New York. And um, as you've just listed, the, there are some huge events that have happened and shook the city in the last 20 years. And so I was really interested in exploring these different varieties of resilience and um, speaking to those, obviously, who were involved in some of the major events. So, for instance, there's a, a father who speaks to, uh, speaks about Hurricane Sandy clinging to his daughter um, in the floodwaters tied to each other with a, with a sweatshirt. Um, there's the 9-11 cop who's dealing to this day with a degenerative nerve disease brought on by the, by the toxins that he encountered. And of course, there's, there are the healthcare workers, the voices of the nurses in the book um, who were wrapping bodies of, of COVID patients and are, and are obviously still dealing with that. So I was very much, you know, focused on on the big events uh, that have happened in New York. But there's also a smaller kind of resilience, a day to day resilience that that appeared in a lot of the interviewees, um, including there's a there's an interviewee in the book named Elliot Carter who recycles cans, who walks the length of of Manhattan picking up cans, and um, and I was interested in his story especially, um, you know, this sort of day to day resilience that we don't necessarily celebrate, but it's truly extraordinary and seeing and learning about how a person lifts themselves up out of poverty changes their life um, in a city that makes them very hard to do i thought was a a great example of another kind of resiliency one that doesn't necessarily make the headlines but is nevertheless incredibly important in new york well some people say that due to the current cost of living in new york city The city is no longer feasible for young people or artists or creative people, which have always been, which have always played a really big part, at least in the modern era of New York. Given your discussions with many New Yorkers, do you think that belief about the city um, is true? Yeah, there was a lot of anger that I found um, in the artistic community. There was a lot of sadness. There was a lot of mystification, maybe. Uh, I think of the words of, of the the owner of a recording studio I spoke to, Steve Rosenthal, who um, was in a great position to to voice all of these concerns. You know, he had started um, his recording studio at Soho years ago when it wasn't quite a welcoming place to be. He had hosted there some of the great artists of our time to to make you know these permanent records, these 
these beautiful pieces of music that we still listen to today. Um, this is the place where David Bowie recorded his two final albums. You know, this is a place that is incredibly important to the cultural life of New York. And yet, you know, he wasn't able to buy the building. He was kicked out, rising rents kicked him out. And so there is a sense, uh, in the words of a lot of the people I spoke to that, um, that what we value about New York, what we love about it is, is being pushed away, is being sort of denigrated or at least not celebrated. Um, he makes the point that, you know, there are people now coming to New York, tourists perhaps, or people who are coming for the first time to live there who are wandering New York, trying to find a city that no longer exists, a city that is fertile, that is welcoming to artists. And, um, and that is a real tragedy, you know, and that's something that I hope those who believe in art fight for in the city. Um, it doesn't, as Steve says, it doesn't necessarily affect the higher level. It's not like MoMA is going to disappear, but the sense of someone moving there to create, to as so many artists and musicians and writers have, um, I think that's really in danger of, of disappearing and that the energy is, is shifting to other places. We can see that. Sure. Well, some people on that same note have said that COVID and the number of people who have moved out of New York City, obviously the ones that can work from home as opposed to uh, the interviewees that you mentioned earlier that are physically working in the city, cleaning and et cetera. Uh, what I was going to say is a lot of people have said that that with the number of people who are moved out of the city, um, the, the city has changed forever. Do Do you believe that? I think it's too early to to truly tell, but it will be an interesting next chapter. Um, you know, the pandemic has given license to people who were maybe on the fence. Um, it has allowed people who kind of wanted to move to get out. It has allowed a lot of rich New Yorkers the chance to pick up stakes and and get out of what they see as a as an unsafe, unhygienic situation. So, what that's going to mean in the future, I I'm not sure. All I can say is that I hope. You know, an, an optimistic part of me hopes that it will allow for some sort of transformation in the city for some sort of. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A uh, critical look at the income inequality in the city, uh, and I hope that it does allow for for a transformation that that brings about something more vital. Perhaps it means that those who want to be in New York now, or those that that really value it, they're not just there because they have to be there or they work there. But um, I think that's the very optimistic view. There are lots of other factors, obviously. Uh, so, um, but I'm going to cling to my optimism for now and see see how it shakes out. I I, I really hope that this is a, a turning point for the city that that allows it to um, to transform into something more equitable for people. Sure. What do you think that non New Yorkers don't understand about the city and the New Yorkers who live there? Well. I think um, New York is never an inert uh, presence in the lives of any 
any American, certainly. Um, there is nowhere that you will go in the U.S. and say the words New York and have someone shrug and say, well, I've never really heard of it. I don't, you know, I've never really heard of the place. Tell me more. You, New York is just such a powerful force that it's, um, that everyone in the U.S. has some sort of relation to it. Some people think they'll never go there. They're terrified of it. They've heard all the stories. It's not for them. Others dream of it from the, you know, from the time they're 13 years old and want to get on that greyhound. Um, so I think this book ultimately is about people, you know, they, they could be any city. Some of the stories are just about, about love, about aging, about, about reaching the end of one's life, about struggling to find meaning. Um, but I think all of those things are just amplified in New York. There are people think about uh, those issues all the time. At least that's what I found. And, and they're able, they were able in, in this book to really voice, uh, issues. I think perhaps people outside of New York don't realize that it is a, an incredibly compassionate city. That's what I found when I was there. We all know about the hard edge of it. Um, but again and again, there was this compassion that was described to me. Um, you may be called upon as a New Yorker. You may have to reach out your hand and help your fellow New Yorker. And I just heard so many stories of, of people called upon to do exactly that. Well, as I mentioned earlier, as we were discussing, COVID hit New York City particularly hard at the beginning of the pandemic in the U.S. last March and April in the summer. Do you know if any of the people you originally interviewed for the book were lost to COVID? Um, yeah, there were some interviewees uh, who did uh, die. One of my dear interviewees, her her mother uh, died. Um, and then there were people involved in the book who who went through it. So the COVID section of the book is sort of centers around one of the one of the major figures in the book, who's a a personal injury lawyer from Queens named Dan Bowso, who's a wonderful guide who acted as a wonderful guide for me all over the city and in march around this time last year he emailed me um saying with the subject line i'll never forget something for the book saying that he'd gone into hospital and he was positive with the virus and um thankfully dan lived but his story of of facing the virus in the hospital is is one that's included in the book and i think hopefully captures the way that that some new yorkers dealt with the virus i mean the way that dan dealt with it was to set down a chair in front of him an empty chair and address it like it was covid and tell it that you know it's not going to take away new york it's, it's it has no right to come to this town and and think that it can destroy this place and so i found that um both in dan's words and in the words of the nurses that i spoke to uh there were themes that were universal themes of resilience and you know i'm sure healthcare workers all over the country know how tough it is to to work through this time but there were also moments that were quite new york you know that that um that those in who were dealing with covid were dealing with it in a way that was that was unique to the city well i'm sure you love all of your interviews that are in the book but are there one or two interviewees that particularly stand out that you won't mention yeah, I mean, just to come back to to the idea of compassion, I always think of a, a, the subway conductor, Sal, who I spoke to. And um, in some ways, you know, his job is is day after day, the same thing. It's got a rhythm, it's got a routine. But he was able to speak to me about these moments that for him stood out, including one where he 
held the hand of a woman as she died on his platform. An elderly woman died and, and he was there. He was asked to be that human being who was going to be there in the last few minutes of her life. And, and he did that and he, he didn't know her. He only knew her first name. He always wishes that he could tell her family that, that he was the person there holding her hand. But, you know, to me, that, that stands out as just one moment in a city where millions of these moments are happening. That's um, just when someone is called upon to be compassionate. So that, that really stands out. And then, and then some of the zanier stuff too. Like it is, it is a city that is, that is quite wild in so many ways. And, um, speaking to the Salvation Army guy who dances in front of Penn Station and the, the pizza guy to, who knows the city only through its pizza and uh, the Macy's Day Parade captain. Um, it, there were a lot of joyous, joyful moments too, as there have to be in a book about New York because it, it brings about such a, a love in itself, in its citizens. Sure. Do you have any specific memories or anecdotes from your own first visit to New York City? I went there quite late. Um, I was 24, I think, when I first went to New York. But like many people, uh, I had a constructed version of the city, romanticized from all the films that I'd seen, the television shows, the late night shows. And um, and so the, for me, there was this alchemy almost that, that occurred when I took my my own version of New York to the actual place. And it's, uh, it's a thrilling moment. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm sure for millions of people who have done the same when you, when you step out and you can, you sort of fuse those two images together, your own image and the, the reality of what's there. So, um, it's always been a, it was a magical place then. And, uh, when I was given the chance to, to go there and live there, and live out parts of my life there, I, I leapt at it. And, uh, and it was a tough place too, you know, a very, very hard city to to be in all the time. A power that that can you know elevate some and really, really uh, denigrate other, hit others very hard. So, um, so yeah, I, I think my my relationship with New York is always complex, as any relationship with a city has to be. But uh, but wow, I'm you know I am enthralled to its power still. That's great. Well. As someone who obviously loves New York, do you have any favorite New York City novels or nonfiction books that you would recommend? Absolutely. And as you know, the list is just is is huge. Yeah. But um, for me, um, there were a few guiding light books. Um, and weirdly, the, the Guardian just asked me to list them. So I have them right here. But I'll, I'll, I'll mention to you just a couple that are that might be under the radar. Um, one is a set of poems by a by a young poet named Yana Prickrell. Um, it's called No Matter, and she's a she's a New York poet. And the book isn't necessarily about New York, but it's just it for me. It just captures so many ineffable feelings about the city, and and um, and I think sometimes when you're dealing with the reality, when you're talking to people in the sewers and talking to electricians and you know, all of these different people, it's good to pull back and read poetry about the city too, to be reminded of, of the language that can be applied in this, you know, in a, in a really beautiful abstract way. And, and she does that beautifully. Um, there's also The Odd Woman in the City, a book by Vivian Gornick, which I absolutely adore, which is, you know, about a, a woman, an older woman walking New York and just looking at New York and thinking about 
the city, thinking about the books, thinking about her life, thinking about her loves, um, and doing so in, in, in just such a smart and, uh, gimlet eyed way. So I, I really, really love those books. And then the long winded lady by Mae Brennan, um, which is in a series of, of vignettes that were published in the New Yorker in the fifties and sixties and seventies that capture all of those little moments that unfold between New Yorkers. So those would be my, my three choices that I really dearly love. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your new book, New Yorkers? Um, I can be found online at my website, craigdtaylor.com. The D is for Delta. Well, the D for Delta, that's not my actual middle name. <laughs> and at, uh, uh, on Twitter at CDL Taylor. So those would be the best ways. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Craig Taylor, author of the new nonfiction book, New Yorkers, which we just discussed as a collection of interviews with New York city residents. The book is on sale now. So go buy a copy and Craig, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. Great. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.